Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. Our scripture reading today uh, is in the Gospel of John, and we'll begin in chapter 11 and verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now down to verse 28. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? This is the word of God for the people of God today. Good to be with you and uh, worship today. One of my all-time favorite movies is uh, Apollo 13, starring Tom Hanks. If Tom Hanks is in it, it's usually pretty good, and this is no exception. Uh, tells the true story of the ill-fated lunar mission uh, that was to land on the moon and make its way back. Well, if you know anything about the story, you know that they encountered uh, real serious problems on the mission, and they not only did not make it to the moon, the question was, would they make it safely back to Earth? And uh, it's a harrowing story as the engineers on the ground are trying to sort it out and to figure it out. And there's some memorable quotes that come from uh, the movie. Uh, in fact, I bet you could fill in one of them, fill in the blank. Houston, we? Yeah, see, there you go. So there's several good quotes in the movie. One of them um, is when the engineers are there in the control room in Houston and two of them are having a conversation about all of the things that are up against them, all of the obstacles that they're facing. And one engineer leans over to the other and says, this will be the worst disaster NASA 
has ever experienced. When we come to the subject of suffering and pain and how that can exist if God is good, nothing tops the list. Nothing affects us more deeply, more profoundly than the subject of death. Is this God's worst failure? Is, is the story that we're told in John chapter 11 when Jesus does not heal Lazarus and he dies, is this Jesus' worst moment? One author has called death a meaning-destroying event. In other words, the death of a loved one, someone dear to you, can rob life of its purpose. The great C.S. Lewis, author of Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, and so many other wonderful books about the Christian life, got married late in life, and his American-born wife soon contracted cancer, went through a terrible battle with that, and then died. He wrote a book, hard, raw book, hard to read, called A Grief Observed. And after his wife died, he said, there is spread over everything a vague sense of wrongness, of something amiss. I loathe the slightest effort. Not only writing, but even reading a letter is too much. Even shaving. What does it matter now whether my cheek is rough or smooth? If you, you probably, maybe you've been there. After someone has died, you just hardly can get up in the morning and get going. Some of you may be aware that Lisa Marie Presley, the only child of Elvis Presley, died earlier this month at the age of 54. Well, six months before her death, she wrote an essay on grief, retelling the story of the tragic death of her 27-year-old son, Benjamin, who took his life. And uh, it's a hard essay to read. A couple quotes, she says, you don't get over it. You don't move on, period. I already battle with and beat myself up tirelessly and chronically, blaming myself every single day. She writes, I've dealt with death, grief, and loss since the age of nine. That's when Elvis died. I've had more than anyone's fair share of it in my lifetime, and somehow I've made it this far. But this one, the death of my beautiful, beautiful son, the sweetest and most incredible being that I've ever had the privilege of knowing who made me feel so honored every single day to be his mother. No, just no. Death can rob us a sense of meaning. Um, if you know Apollo 13, when Gene Kranz, the flight director in charge of the whole operation, overhears these two engineers say that this would be the worst moment. He looks at them and says, I believe this will be our finest hour. And indeed, they got him back. They got him back safely, and it was arguably NASA's finest hour. When you look at the whole story and you see it to its conclusion, it very well could be that the story of Lazarus and his death and raising is Jesus' finest hour in his ministry. 
It all depends when you look at the story. If you look at it halfway, it's pretty depressing. But if you see it to its end, it's glorious. See, friends, to the brokenhearted, God offers more than we could ever ask or imagine. So if you're here and your heart is breaking, or you know what it's like to have your heart broken, and you are anticipating the death of a loved one, because we all face this, we all do, there's great, great hope in this beautiful story. Well, it starts um, uh, in John chapter 11, verse 1, and there's a lot to this story. Can't read all of it today. I would encourage you to go home and read John 11 and the first part of 12 and really get a grasp for it. Just sit with this story because it is so powerful. Um, and it takes place in a little village outside of Jerusalem named Bethany, and here Jesus was friends with a family. Now, you know, there were, uh, there were the 12 disciples, and then there, were, there was a larger outer ring of disciples, and then there was a group of friends. Jesus had friends, just, not just disciples, they were that too, but um, just like you and I. And one of them was this sibling group. It was Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Very unusual living arrangement for those days. Some speculate that Lazarus was sickly most of his life and that his sisters chose to forego marriage and take care of him. We don't know. But we know that um, Jesus would go to them, go to their house and have dinner. And um, word is sent from the sisters that Lazarus is gravely ill. We'll pick it up with verse 6. So when he, Jesus, heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. This is unprecedented. So seemingly out of character for Jesus. There's never any other example in the Gospels where Jesus is called on and ignores the request. And yet here, he, he hears about this and he stays there, instead of making a, a beeline to Bethany, he stays where he was. Now, John, the author, right before that, wants us to understand that it's not because of a lack of love. He said right here in verse 5, before that, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Like John tells us that, to put in perspective that Jesus stays, it wasn't for lack of love that kept him there. No. Uh, what was it for? Well, this is one of the stories where we're kind of given a little insight and glimpse into the purpose. Verse 4 says, when he heard this, Jesus said, the sick, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified in it. What, what's going on here? Jesus says, it's all about glory. Glory. Now, glory is one of those words we use and we don't always know really what it means. We kind of have a sense of the meaning. It gets used in church and outside of church. Uh, there's two types of glory. One is being widely known or uh, recognized uh, and admired. It has to do with fame and honor. All right? Um, and, and that's, that's a, a kind of glory we hear a lot about in athletics when, when an athlete uh, uh, has a great thing or does something spectacular, we call it glorious. You see, another Cardinal got elected to the Hall of Fame this week. Scott Rowland is going to the Hall of Fame. Just adds to the glory 
of the Cardinals. I mean, really, what a glorious history. All these players in the Hall of Fame won 11 championships. You know, you know, the Cardinals have never gone more than 24 years without winning a World Series. You know? I mean, some cities, some towns, they go 108 years between, you know, <laughs> championships. But here, you know, what a glorious history the Cardinals have. Uh, that's, one, that's one type of glory. Another type of glory is something internal. It's intrinsic. It's, it's intrinsic excellence or splendor. And splendor and glory both have a connotation of light. It's like it's brilliant, splendid. Um, that's the other type. Now, God is the most glorious being in all of the universe, and nothing, there's not even a close second. R- really, there's no way you can add to the glory of God because he doesn't lack anything. And so God is intrinsically splendid and excellent, holy and beautiful in every way. Um, but now, for, he says that the Son of Man will be glorified. In other words, his fame, his renown will spread because of what he's about to do. He has a plan. They don't know about it yet, but something's going to happen that's going to bring him greater renown. But also, part of, what the, glory, part of the story of glory here is the glory that's intended for Mary and Martha. They will be the chief beneficiaries of his glory. Um, I've been reading this fabulous book. It's thick, it's dense. It's called Wandering in Darkness. It's by Eleanor Stump. She's a um, theology professor at St. Louis University. And um, she writes this about the story. She says, Martha and Mary can be counted on to maintain their trust in Jesus. He's not neglecting them by relying, but relying on them as more advanced followers. They, in turn, will come to understand his plan and gain deeper insight into his love. Their change in honor and excellence will be something to marvel at. They will be the beneficiaries of his glory. So now, we fast forward. Um, Jesus does go to Bethany, and um, we learn that Lazarus has been dead for four days. So uh, his first encounter is with the one sister, Martha. Now, let me give you a little background. Some of you have heard us talk about the story. Maybe you've studied um, the story that's probably better known or just as well known about Mary and Martha uh, having Jesus over for dinner. And Martha is fixing dinner. Remember that story? She's fixing dinner and uh, she's in the kitchen and Jesus is out teaching in the living room and Mary is sitting there listening to Jesus. And Martha is feeling a little, uh, uh, not feeling the love. She's in there doing all the work and she's not happy with her sister not helping her. So she starts doing the things we do when we're passive aggressive and wanting, you know, she starts slamming pots down on the ground, slamming doors, you know, like, hey, can you get the hint and come in and help me? She doesn't get the hint, so she marches right on into the room where Jesus is teaching, looks at Jesus, says, would you tell my sister to help me? And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. And he gently rebukes her and says, Mary has chosen the better part. So in that story, Martha's the goat, Mary's the hero. Well, that's a little bit of a reverse thing here. So let's pick it up in verse 20. 
Remember, Lazarus is now dead four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Remember that. Mary wouldn't go. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She lets him know we're deeply disappointed in you. You could have prevented this. But then she pivots. But I know God will give you. So Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So here's this exchange with with Martha. And she's heartbroken for two things. And and I've seen this because as a pastor, you deal with uh, grieving families and death and funerals all the time. And I've seen there's often two things going on. There is the grief in losing the loved one and all that goes with that. And then there's this other thing, sometimes spoken, sometimes not spoken, this this disappointment in God. You know, God, you could have prevented this. God, you could have kept this from happening. I mean, Martha just says it. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. One of the best books I ever read on this subject was titled Disappointment with God, written by Philip Yancey some 30 years ago. And a lot of folks carry that around, and maybe you carry some of it around, and you just can't even bring yourself to say it, but you feel God let you down. And we never feel that more profoundly than when someone we know and love and cherish dies. Um, always been a Beatles fan, my favorite group, and um, Paul McCartney, you know, one of the greatest musicians ever. And uh, I, I don't know where he stands now, but he has said for a long time that he's an atheist. It all goes back to when he was a, a young boy, and his mother was sick and dying, and he prayed, and he really prayed genuinely and sincerely that God would heal his mom, and she, and she died, and he chose to not believe he couldn't bring himself to believe in God who wouldn't answer his prayers. So maybe you carry some disappointment with God today. Well, let's go to Mary. So um, says that to Martha. Pick it up with verse 28. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here. and he, He's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, She says the same thing, which tells you they've been saying this together, haven't they? She says the very same thing, but there's a different resonance to Mary's statement. Martha came in 
And she's in Jesus' face. She's looking at him. She's talking to him. She's saying, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And they're engaged. They're dialoguing. But Mary, remember she stayed back? Because she is bearing two burdens. The fact that her brother died and the fact that Jesus let him down. She stays in the house, friends, because she doesn't want to see him. And when she does see him, she can't look him in the eye. She just falls on her face at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. In other words, you let us down. When we needed you the most, you weren't here. She's deeply hurt. Deeply hurt. Um, Indeed. If Jesus really loved them, why didn't he make a beeline? Why didn't he go straight to them? Well, this moves Jesus deeply. And um, this is where he belayed him. Come and see, they said. The shortest verse in all the Bible, Jesus wept. If you want a memory verse, friends, there it is. John eleven thirty eight. 38. We'll say that together. Jesus wept. Now you know, yeah, you have a memory verse. Look at that. Look at you. Um, see how much he loved him, this crowd said? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man had kept this man from dying? Others were thinking it too. Sometimes when you're harboring secret disappointment with God, others are too. Certainly the case here. Um, And yet, Jesus had this plan. Now, if he'd told them the plan, it would have ruined it. He relies on them as advanced followers to trust him. And glory begins to pour out. Glory begins to be evidence. First, there's only seven I am sayings in all of the gospel of John. They're all great sayings. And Jesus says this to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. But then, when he says, do you, do you believe this? She makes this confession, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's to come into the world. Now, see, John has Martha say this. It's beautiful. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called synoptic, which is a fancy word for similar, in their stories, the first disciple, the first person to confess that Jesus was the Messiah was Peter. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All tell us that story. But in John's gospel, the first person to confess that Jesus was the Messiah was Martha. And she goes down in history. That's glory, my friends. And so we go to the end of the story. You know, you have to get to the end of the story, friends. To know the whole story. Because when an author is writing a story, it goes through many peaks and valleys. It goes, it goes uh, through many different moments. And there are times when it looks like all hope is lost. There are times in a story when it looks desperate, like the hero will never get out of this, like good will never come, like the sun will never shine again. But it's not the end of the story. Don't judge a story until it's done. And as followers of Jesus, friends, if the story's not good, it's not done. 
Paul writes this. Um, well, here, I'll go back to the story. So Jesus gets to the tomb. He says, take away the stone. Now Martha, always the practical one, says, but Lord, he's been dead four days. It's going to stink. He said, did I tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? So they roll the stone away. And he prays. And then, verse 43, when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. It's pointing out it's a good thing he specified Lazarus because if he had just said come out, that whole cemetery would have come to life. (laughs) He says, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Can you imagine the sight? Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. There's a little beautiful insight in how God works. He is the author of life. He brings life, and he alone can bring life. But he also delegates to us the task of taking off the grave clothes. Now, you, you work with them now. You clean them up. You help them. You see, at the end of the story, Mary and Martha get two things. The first is what they wanted from the beginning. They wanted their brother to be okay. They wanted him to be healthy. They wanted him to live. They got that. What they never would have imagined is the second gift they got that he would be raised from the dead. That didn't even enter their mind. And yet this is what Jesus does for them. Romans 8, 18, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Yes, they're suffering, But at the end of the story, the glory will be so great and so beautiful and so amazing that the sufferings that we have experienced in this life, including the death of loved ones and people who are dear to us and tragic losses, will be nothing compared to the glory that's coming. Friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, They get glory. Martha's the first to confess that Jesus is the Messiah. Martha hears those glorious words, I'm the resurrection and life. Um, But they also get fame and renown and honor. This family was a pretty undistinguished family. We might call them just good middle class working people. They weren't particularly known for anything, probably just outside their circle of friends in Bethany. And now, because of what Jesus does with Lazarus, the the word spreads all over the country. They're overnight sensation. Everybody knows about this family. But there's more than that. There's an intrinsic splendor and excellence and glory because through this they draw closer to Jesus. And friends, there's no greater thing that can happen to you or me in life is that we draw near to God and God draws near to us. 
That's the meaning of life. Before, they're unknown. After, their name spreads. And here's the deal. Look at us. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about them. You want to talk about fame and honor. Go back 2,000 years. Name one great Olympian from that era. You can't. We don't know their names. The Olympic Games from Greece, 2,000 years. Yeah. Their names are lost to history. But not the names Mary Martha and Lazarus. We're still talking about it even today. Um, now, as soon as this happens, John ends the story, at least this part. Um, we're not told what happens. I kind of picture here, you kind of get the impression, Jesus does this. Lazarus come out. Tells them to take off, the, and then he just kind of slips away. And we're just left to imagine the next scene. And I believe that, that he allows, that there must have been awe and wonder and, and, and rejoicing and, and, disp, and, and disbelief and just amazement and all of that happening. But he just allows Mary and Martha to absorb it, to reflect on it, and he walks away. To get to the natural end of the story, you got to go to John chapter 12. Okay? Here, let's pick it up in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Friends, at the end of history, a dinner, a great dinner, will be given in Jesus' honor. And all who follow him will be at that table. It says, Martha served. Of course she did. <laughs> While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So here's Mary. And in the presence of family and everybody. She comes in to meet Jesus and yet again at his feet. She falls at his feet and she takes this jar of expensive perfume. It could be that this represented her dowry. She never got married. So it could be that this was her entire inheritance. It, in today's dollars, it could be worth maybe worth thousands of dollars. It could represent all of her wealth. And she takes it and pours it on the feet of Jesus in an act of beautiful devotion. But, and, and, but then she wipes his feet with her hair. Why? That's a sign of, of contrition, of penance, of humility. Why? Because it's as if she's saying, Jesus, I am so sorry that I ever doubted. I am so sorry, and I am more in love with you now than I ever have been in my life. And she pours out all that she has. Friends, none of the 12 men that followed him, none of the 12 disciples ever did that for Jesus. In fact, we're told in the very next verse, verse that Judas, one of the 12, starts complaining. Wow, we could have sold that perfume and made a lot of money on it. And she doesn't care. She's more interested in expressing her love and devotion to the one who came to her rescue, to the one who raised her brother. That's 
all that mattered to her now. You see, she loved Jesus before Lazarus died. But after he was raised, she loved him even more. And I would suggest that that exponential growth in love on Mary's part never could have happened without the suffering and loss and heartbreak that went before it. That suffering can increase our love for God. Going back to Eleanor Stump, she says, the raising of Lazarus is worth far more to her than his healing. In so doing, Jesus gives her a glory she could never have imagined. She now can see Jesus did it this way because of his trust in her and that Jesus loved her as much as she wanted and more than she knew. You see, when she told Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died, really what she's saying, in her own heart she's doubting, Did you, do you really love me anymore, Jesus? And now she knows. She knows that love is more than she ever could have dreamed or imagined. But she had to get to the end of the story. And there's all these hints, friends, that when we get to the end of the story, the story isn't over. The problems and sufferings and heartbreak of this life will seem small in comparison to the glory that's coming. Going to 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. <laughs> you ever read this suffering of Paul? How he was shipwrecked and attacked and beaten, left for dead a couple times, you know, accused. I mean, he went through so much, I mean, more than most ten of us would in our lifetimes. And he calls them light and momentary troubles. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When the story's over, there will be glory. And it'll be more than you can think or imagine. It'll outweigh all of the heartache and the suffering that we've been through. So in the meantime... We trust and walk by faith. And we get these reminders and glimpses of the love of God in Jesus. Um, I don't know where you're at. We've all experienced heartbreak, all of us. And maybe you're in the middle of it right now. You know, we have a job here in the church, and that is to remove the grave clothes. God gives life. Only God can give life. But, but, um, we have these ministries that help remove grave clothes. We have a, a, play, a ministry called Grief Share, and there you can come and, and process any kind of grief or heart, heartbreak that you've had, any kind of loss that you've had. It's a wonderful, wonderful course. Another is emotionally healthy spirituality helps you look at grief and find God in the middle of it. That'll be coming too. Don't miss out on the opportunities in the church. What God calls us to do is to... Is to help people afterwards process we also today we have people here to pray with you at our prayer stations sometimes you just need someone to pray with you and for you allow us to remove those grave clothes and allow God to give you the life that only he can give for Jesus said I am the resurrection 
and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's what we can bank on and trust. Glory's coming. And it's going to be good. He says, I'm good now. That's all right. The story's not over. It's going to be good when this thing wraps up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that um, at the end is glory. Glory that far outweighs any trouble we have had here. They will seem light and momentary compared to the splendor that you have for us. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, or has it even entered the heart of man, the things that you have prepared for those who love you. So we thank you. I pray for those who have broken hearts right now. Would you give new life? Come, Holy Spirit, and fill those broken hearts. I thank you that you are near to the brokenhearted. May they know your nearness. And Lord, let us be a place where we are really good at removing those grave clothes and helping people walk in newness of life. For we pray in the name of Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.